0: If you think about it, most nations in the world, including our own, were birthed in conflict. Competing ideologies and thoughts of how the world should work, how we want our world to work, have been a source of both division between those who disagree and unity among those who do agree. Church communities have been birthed out of unifying vision, and other churches have split or been destroyed over competing visions. How do we find a healthy way forward in a world so divided? What is God's heart for us in this time of both celebration and strife? We're going to read James 4, 1 through 12, and then we're going to learn a little bit about dealing with uh, strife and, and really the selfishness that produces strife. Here we are, James 4, starting in verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges... A fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. The predominantly Jewish followers of Jesus to whom James writes were also dealing with division and division on a very personal level within their church community. Some of them just weren't getting along. It's good to know that that didn't just start with us. It's not just uh, 21st century uh, United States politics. Uh, it's not just your family. It's not just the, you know the church down the street that you hear about, oh, this is going on, this is going on. This has been an issue in the world since the fall of, of man. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, when man decided he was going to be like God, but he was going to do it his own way. Uh, And then Adam and Eve together, male and female, both of them fell. And we have been living with the the consequences of a selfish, uh, selfish pursuit since the beginning. So, Why were the first century believers that James is writing to not getting along? What was going on? And really, it's the same issue that we have today. The question is this, what do we really want? What are we willing to wage war for? What are we willing to murder for? Not necessarily physically murder, but even in our hearts, the way we think about people, the way we allow hatred toward other people to fester in our hearts. What are we willing to? To murder for? What dominates our thoughts? What not what dominates your thoughts? What do you dream about and make plans to achieve, no matter who you have to throw under the bus, to make it happen? James makes it clear here, this source of wars and fights among the church, not just out there in the world, but among the church. This source it obviously is not good. It's these passions that wage war in their hearts. And guys, sometimes what we really want is not always good. We may be really passionate for something. We may be really committed to it in our hearts, but not everything we really want is good. What's the source of wars and fights among you? Your passions, says James. This Greek word hedonis is where we get our word hedonism. Uh, It's... It means pleasures or desires for pleasure. So your passions, your desire for your own pleasure that wages war within you. He says you desire and do not have. Meaning, we really, really want something, but we don't have it. So what do we do? We murder in our hearts. We covet and cannot obtain. We desire what we don't have. What we desire... Maybe that which is someone else's, even within the church, someone else's ministry that we're envious of, someone else's uh, success that we see and we become envious of them, or maybe it's their position, their influence, and we're like, oh, I want that, and I'm willing to do whatever in order to get it. It's interesting, James says, you don't have because you do not ask. Isn't it interesting how we often want God's blessings? We often want the, the promotion of God. We want the, the, those good things that God gives. We often want that more than we want God. He says you don't have because you do not ask. In our selfish pursuits, we may not even consult God at all. Prayer is often sidelined when our vision of Jesus is overshadowed by our vision for our own plans for our life. Then James says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your pleasures. So here we have this where we do begin to pray and we come to God, except that this kind of prayer gets sidetracked because the, the motive is wrong. It's really all about us. Again, our selfish desires, our wrong motives. Uh, the, the Greek word here, kakos, uh, talks about our motives being ill, our motives being diseased. So you can think about it, where we're coming to God and what we're asking for is actually, uh, it's wrong. And what we're asking for has a disease in it. Like our prayer Is diseased because we're asking with impure motives. Thankfully, God knows when there is disease in our asking. He knows when we should not receive what we pray for. It's often God's grace at work on our behalf and on others' behalf that does not give us what we pray for. He sees the big picture when all we see is our lack of control, our longing to be accepted and approved by others are longing to be seen as successful. What we're really getting at here is some of the key root idols that many, many, many people deal with. In fact, almost all of the issues that we deal with come back to these root idols. We're seeking selfish power, selfish control, selfish comfort, selfish approval, Uh, And these things blind us to God's kingdom purpose. And thankfully, God is not blind. And he knows the way forward. He knows when to give us what we're asking for. He knows when not to give us what we're asking for. So it's good that we understand that what we really want is not always good. But secondly, what God wants is not merely a good plan. But God wants a passionately faithful people. James talks about our selfish desires that turn us against one another. And he says, these these aren't just sin. He calls them adultery against God. In fact, the word he uses in the Greek, it's the feminine word here. He calls the church, he calls them adulteresses. That's the more accurate translation, adulteresses. It's reflective of, of Israel throughout the Old Testament, the people of God, finding their pleasures in other lovers rather than the God who had covenanted with them. So using this word adultery, it reflects unfaithfulness to a marriage covenant. And this is how God thinks about his people. And James says, don't you know, don't you know, guys, that friendship with the world with the world's way of doing things, the world's way of getting ahead, of getting things done, don't you know that this is spiritual idolatry and that this makes us God's enemy? Like we are setting ourselves against God's way of doing things when we do this? N.T. Wright reminds us that this is actually the normal way of the world. This is the way the world works. You get things done, and sometimes how you get things done doesn't matter so much as much as that you get it done. And again, N.T. Wright says, it takes guts to stand out and be different. This is like, uh, it's like breaking a marriage vow with God. It means that all sin, like sin against one another, when we turn on one another, we hate one another, we covet uh, against one another, we, we have this like feuds and wars and factions, even within the church. It means that all of this kind of sin, all sin actually is a sin. William Barclay says it's a sin against love. God wants us. He loves us. He's so committed to us. He came to seek and save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's us. He wants you. God wants me. He wants us. It says, do you think it's without reason? The scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely or longs jealously. The ESV translation says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You hear that? God yearns jealously over you. He's given you life and breath. He's made his own spirit to live in you, but he's he's brought your spirit to life and he jealously loves you. Oprah Winfrey, years ago, she said in in an interview that this idea of God being jealous is part of what turned her from her Christian faith. She was reading that God was jealous of her. She misread it. It's not that God is jealous of you. She said, I, can't, I couldn't believe in a God who would be jealous of his creation. But it, he's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. God is jealous for you. He's fiercely loving you. He's like a fiercely loving husband who wants his wife and he wants the love of his wife to be for him. God wants us to worship him, to love him back. So we're totally not wise when we compete with God for the power that's really only his. When we compete with God for the devotion of people in the church community, the devotion that belongs to him. This is actually, when we do this, it's serving the master of power or the master of approval, the core idol of power, the core idol of approval. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Are we serving Jesus or are we serving power? Are we serving Jesus or are we serving control? Are we serving Jesus or are we we serving approval? When we do that, It causes wars and fights among us. This happens in families. This happens in businesses. This happens in church communities. This happens in cities. This happens in nations. The good news in all of this, you guys, is that God gives greater grace. He gives more grace. Isn't that good to know? He gives greater grace. Greater than all of our sin... Greater than all of our unfaithfulness, greater than all of our spiritual adultery. Yes, the Expositor's Bible commentary says, yes, God has set a high standard for wholehearted love and devotion on the part of His people. But He gives grace that is greater than the rigorous demand He has made. This verse here uh, uh, in verse 6 He gives greater grace. The Passion Translation says he continues to pour out more and more grace. Now, God resists who? He resists the proud. He resists us when we are too proud for his grace, when we're too proud to submit our lives and our plans to him, when our hearts run after power, control, comfort, and the approval of others. But God continually pours out grace to who? The humble. He pours out his unmerited favor and he pours out his unmerited, unearned divine enablement to do what he's called us to do. He gives more grace to the humble. So what are we called to do? We're called to submit to God. Submit to this God who gives more grace. Submit your life to this God Who loves you, who yearns jealously over you. We're called to surrender our will to him. If we surrender our will to him, this leads to obedience. This leads to walking into the things that he actually has for us. Submit to him and then resist the devil's schemes and lies. And what happens? The devil will flee. The devil we will flee when we resist. So how do we best do this? How do we best counter the devil's draw to selfishness? Of course, we do that with God's word. We speak the truth of God. Uh, but also, okay, so, so practically, practically, We do wanna stop criticizing, stop defaming, stop exposing, stop shaming, stop falsely blaming, stop slandering one another to make ourselves look better or to get ahead or to get that promotion at work. When we do this, we're actually judging the law. We're judging the royal law of love. That goes back to uh, James chapter two, verse eight. It's not just the law in general, this royal law of love, loving your neighbor As yourself. When we run one another down to make ourselves look better or to gain position for ourselves, when we throw one another under the bus so that we can get ahead or that we can get things done, we're actually judging the royal law of love. That's practical. Most importantly, James calls us to draw near to God. How do we best resist the devil? Draw near to God. His promise is that he, God, will also draw near to us. He is faithful to us. He's a faithful husband. Even when we've been unfaithful to him, again, the the history of the people of God, the history of Israel shows time and time and time again as they are unfaithful to God, God returns to them and he, he stays faithful to his people. He allows them to experience the consequences of their actions. He allows them to experience trouble, but he remains faithful to them. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. This is a promise. So we can be honest with God. We can be honest with ourselves about our sin. If we're gonna enjoy God's grace, This begins with admitting our sin and turning from it to him. We want to let God break our hearts over our sin. We don't want to ignore it. Humble yourself before the Lord. Make yourself low before the Lord it's like bowing yourself low, bowing your heart, bowing your will before the Lord bow yourself before the Lord humble yourself and he will exalt you He will raise you up at the right time He will raise you up into the things he has planned for you into his calling for your life He will do that and you, you may think well but what if I what if I never do get ahead in this life? what if I never do? Achieve anything of, you know, notoriety in this life. Just worship him. Draw near to him and trust that he will exalt you. Know this, that even even in into all eternity, which is really the main focus, it's where we're all headed anyway, he will exalt you. You're not going to miss out on anything. I think an important prayer for us, is just to say, Father, adjust my priorities. Help me to want what you want. Lord, thank you for grace to help us to turn from our sin, to turn from our core idols, to turn from those things that cause us to war against one another, to fight against one another. Lord, thank you for the grace to reach out to those of us, Lord, we, all of us who don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve anything from you other than judgment, but thank you for your unmerited favor that you pour out on us. And then you can pour out through us to be a blessing to others. Lord, help us turn from our sin and turn to you. Thank you for your grace to receive your love and your care for us and to love one another well. Amen.